chapter 3, and let me get to it myself. Let's see here. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who hath builded the house hath more honor than the house. For every house is builded by some man, but he that build, built all things is God. And Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken of after. But Christ is a son over his own house, whose house are we, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, I pray that you bless here tonight. Lord Jesus, uh, please just guide my mind and my thoughts tonight. Lord, I pray that you just give me direction in all that we say and do. And, and Lord, I, I yield myself to thee. And, the, and your word is so very important. And, and Father, I think it's important that we take it little by little, kind of precept upon precept, line upon line, and, and, and look and see what it says. And, and, and Father, uh, even the, the parts that are very simplistic, we still need to address them. And the parts that are repetitious, we still need to address them. So Lord, I pray that you bless here tonight. And Holy Spirit, I ask you to guide my mind and my thoughts. And then, and then Father, I pray that you'd wrap your arms around us and just protect us tonight. Thank you for protecting the people and bringing them here tonight please. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, it says in uh, Hebrews chapter 3, beginning in verse 3, and just the first three words, it says, wherefore, holy brethren. Now, uh, you know, every word is so important, but in, in this, it's obviously talking to, uh, to the saved. Whenever it talks about the brethren, it's talking about the saved. But most of the time, that's what it's going to state, really, it's going to talk about the brethren. Uh, but here it says, the holy brethren. It, 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 now, again, brethren denotes Christ, uh, is that we're brothers in Christ, and, and so that means that we are saved, and he's talking to saved people. But he says here, holy brethren, and, and I want you to understand this too, I don't think it's talking about them in some spiritual condition that he looks at them and says, wow, they're such spiritual people, they're holy. I, that, that's not what it, I don't believe that's what it means. He says, holy brethren, but in scripture, we're commanded to, to be holy as he is holy. But I want you to notice, he didn't command them here to be holy, uh, which that, in that command to be holy as Christ is holy, uh, he's not commanding them to be holy. In that command to be holy as, as Christ is holy, that's something we, we should be striving for, something we ought to be desiring to, to be more like Christ every day. And so uh, we're, we're supposed to be striving for that. But in this, he calls them holy brethren. So uh, there is a holiness of life that we're supposed to strive to live but these brethren are not told to be holy. It states that they are holy. Now, here's what I think it means. I believe this is not some sinless perfection, but a statement, uh, but a statement of their spiritual condition in Christ. Uh, it, by that, I mean it's not a state of their present spiritual condition that they're holy and somehow have attained some sanctification. Somehow they are really this is special group. No, I think what he's talking about here when he says this is that he's saying in Christ, you're holy. 
In Christ, you're justified. In Christ, you know, when, when God looks at, it, whether we can even fathom this, but when God looks at us in our sinful state that we live, when God looks at us, he looks at us through the blood of Jesus Christ. And as I, and I kind of illustrated the other day, when I, last uh, lady that I was witnessing to, one of the last ladies that, that came through in the food bank thing, I told her uh, that your, your sin, the moment you trust Christ your Savior, all your sin is on Him. But here's what our tendency is. We think all of my past sin has been forgiven now, but they struggle with the fact of what happens today and tomorrow and the next day. And as soon as they sin, they feel like, well, I must not have salvation. But God, when he looks at us, it's so an amazing thing. The moment I sin today, the moment I get angry, the moment I slip in my character, the moment I make some stupid decision, the moment I say something, do something, uh, anything in my life that's a, that God calls a sin, that, the very millisecond that that takes place, it goes on Jesus' record. It's not on my record. You say, well, then why do you have to confess it? We're not talking about a, a temporal now. We're talking about as far as eternity is concerned. And as far as God looks at me, as far as all eternity. Does this make sense to everybody? So when God looks at me, he look, it's, it's like this. Mike, if you come here. The, uh, I had to use him because I need somebody big enough that, that you won't see me behind him. The... Uh, just kidding, just kidding. Uh, now look, folks, I, I'm here, but if you look at up here, you don't see me, what do you see? It's Mike, okay? <laughs> you see Mike. And the fact is, is that's what happened. Jesus comes and he takes our place. So when God looks at us, he doesn't see us in our sinful condition. He sees the righteousness of Christ. Therefore, Christ can say, you're holy. In the sight of God, you're holy. All right. So, I believe this is not some sinful perfection, but a statement of their spiritual condition in Christ. They are righteous through his righteousness, therefore they are holy in the sight of God, for they have the righteousness of Christ. And I think that's the only way that, that this statement can be made to them. Holy brethren. Uh, he's, it's been such an important thing. Uh, he's, and the reason I think this terminology is used is because you have to remember, these are the Jews that are struggling with, they've been taught, they've been reared, they've been pumped in their mind their whole life, living the law, living the law. I've got to live the law. I've got to live holy. I've got to be holy. And folks, if you don't think this is applicable to, to our area, it is. Because it's the same thing that's been pumped into their minds around here. They, that they've got to somehow do everything, put all their ducks in a row. And that really changes depending on whoever's preaching and teaching them. And so they've got to have everything right uh, in order. And this is the way the Jews were. They, they had to live according to the law in order to be holy. And right here the writer is saying through the inspiration of the Spirit, Hey, take it easy. Holy brethren, you're trying so hard to obtain it. You already are. In the sight of God, you're holy. And so...
to me, it's so much in three words. <laughs> it's just a lot here in three words, but it's so important because, uh, because of who they're talking to. And this is what we have to get across to the people that we talk to. Uh, look, when you trust Christ as your Savior, if you're truly trusting Him and Him alone, nothing else for your salvation, uh, if it's of grace, it's no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more. When you get that settled as grace and grace alone and your, your, your belief in Him, when you get that, you got to understand, you are now holy in the sight of God. And always remember, they'll think, well, you know, I understand all my past sins, but you have to under, understand all of our sins were future sins when Jesus was crucified. Now, this is being established for in the last chapter, Jesus was compared to the angels. Now, what's about to take place here is he's about to start comparing Jesus to Moses and the law. So this, the whole last couple of chapters, really, the first, first and second chapters of, of Hebrews is dealing a lot with Jesus and the angels because they were so much about the power of the angels and so much about angels and worshiping angels. And so was, that's what it was about. Now it's going to shift gears. Now it's talking about Moses and the law. The, uh, these brethren are holy for their partakers of the heavenly calling. Look at what it says here. It says, wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. And so uh, what he's saying, you know, it, it, the, the, tr the truth of the gospel has now been preached to you, and you partook of it. You consumed it. You accepted it. You partook of this. And, and he said, now, now since you accepted that heavenly calling, that the truth, the gospel, as it called to you and drew you. He said, now that you've accepted that, you're holy. It is established that they're saved and in Christ, but the writer through inspiration is also bringing them to the focus on the one who saved them. For if you continue to read, then it says of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest. So, it, again, you think, well, they just trusted Christ. Why would he have to be saying this? Well, they didn't all just trust Christ today. There's time period here uh, between the time some of these people got saved and now the writing of this. And so he's trying to remind them who Jesus is. He's trying to one more time tell them who Jesus is. And again, uh, you know, I'll get, probably get ahead of myself on this, but, but the the importance of it here by that terminology that he's using is he says here, uh, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. He said, now, let's consider who you believed in. And he used these two terms because in, in a great sense, the, and they understood this, Moses was the apostle, apostle to Israel because apostle simply means the sent one. And so Moses was sent to Israel. So they understand, and that's who they, you know, they believe Moses was sent by God to them. And, and watch this, and Aaron, who was with Moses, was the high priest. And so through Moses being sent to them and Moses bringing the law to them, through Aaron being the high priest for them, uh, they, this is the way, again, this is all in their minds. And, and yeah, 
some of you, you may understand this, but if you got saved may, a little bit later, but you get saved, and if you don't get taught right away, you can get confused. You can get a lot of stuff back in your mind and a lot of things, and people can legitimately, watch this now, people can legitimately be saved today, and a year from now believe they've got to be baptized to be saved. Now, you say, were they really saved? Yes, I believe they were really saved. But the confusion has come in. False teachers have come in. And in their life, they are surrounded with all kinds of people that are still living the law. And they're teaching the law and promoting the law. And they're still uh, pushing their high priest. And, and so he's saying, let me remind you now who you, the, the high calling. You, were, you accepted Jesus Christ. And let me remind you who he is. He is the sent one. He is the apostle. And he is your high priest. Does this make sense to everybody? So it's, it's very important he's trying to get across to him. And again, if you make the parallel today, you'll uh, make it applicable to today is you've got to look at these people that we're dealing with today and they've got to, they, they may uh, be with us and they may really truthfully trust Christ, but then they go back to their homes or, or almost immediately. It's an amazing thing. If you ever reach somebody that's not in church at all and their family is in church, uh, as soon as you reach them, then all of a sudden they want them. And so they get them back into the works church. They get them back into, they got to be baptized and they got to do this. And they, gotta, they hadn't taught them anything, but now suddenly you've gotten a hold of them and now they're going to try to pump this back into them. And it's very easy because this is what they've heard all their life to suddenly digress back into what they believed. And so you have to have somebody come back to them as the writer here is doing, coming back and saying, okay, okay, wait a minute. Let's go back to what you believe. Let's go back to that calling that you had. You go back to when you heard the gospel. And, and who were you believing in? You were believing in the apostle, the sent one, who had been prophesied that he would come, that the Christ would come, and now the sent one has come, and he's not only the apostle, he's the high priest of your salvation. And so in this verse, we, we also see the positions of Christ. And, and so apostle represents God to man. The high priest represents man to God. And so uh, that's what you know, the, uh, uh, Moses uh, went to God and he brought God's word to man. Uh, uh, then Aaron uh, came and he uh, <clears throat> brought and came and represented the sins of man to God. And, and so uh, now this is Jesus who's taken that place and, uh, the, and Jesus was sent from God to represent God to man, but he is also our high priest. First Timothy 2.5 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And so that mediator was the high priest. That mediator is still the high priest. And so uh, they are reminded of who their Savior is and how he is faithful as... Moses was faithful. If you look at verse 2, it says, uh, Who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. Now, 1 Thessalonians it, it, it talks about the faithfulness of Christ. It says in 524, Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. 
And, and so it's talking about who was faithful to him that appointed him. He's talking about the faithfulness of Christ. And, and of course, Christ is ultimately faithful. Christ will, will never, uh, uh, will, can never lie. Can't, God who cannot lie has promised his eternal life. And so, but here's where you begin, it starts to get into this comparison between Christ and Moses. You see, the, uh, this comparison began with Moses. These people have been trained and taught their whole life that Moses' law was their salvation, and now they've found righteousness and holiness in Christ, not the law. Moses had been faithful to the calling of God to deliver the people of God and to bring the word of God to the people. And Moses had been very faithful about that. Now, the truth is, this passage is not negating Moses or not putting Moses down and not making light of Moses. It's truthfully saying Moses was a faithful man. But Christ is greater. It's clear that Moses is not being put down, for God praises Moses for his faithful in all his house. But we must face the truth and the reality. Verse 3, look at verse 3. It says, For this man was counted worthy of, of more glory than Moses. This man, of course, being Christ. For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who hath builded the house hath more honor than the house. Uh, you know, God puts things in such a simplistic common sense. He said, no, this is so simple. He said, Moses is important, but Moses is the house that God built. He said, now, which is more important, the house or the one who built the house? Well, it's just common sense. I mean, if it, it, the house can't be more important because it's like, okay, is this not which came first, chicken or the egg? It's what's more important, the chicken or the egg? Well, the egg's going to feed you once. You keep the chicken, it'll feed you a little bit more. Now, so the, this man, the God-man, Jesus, Jesus, the Christ, the incarnate God is above Moses just as the man who builds the house is above the house he builds. And it's just such a, just a common sense statement. Jesus, the creator of all things. Moses would never, here's what ultimately that the thought process is coming to. Moses would never have existed if Jesus had not created all things. If there was no creation, then none of us would be here. Neither would Moses. Jesus is the creator of all things. Moses would never exist if Jesus had not spoken creation into existence. Look at verse 4. It says, For every house is built by some man, but he that built all things is God. And so it's just it's so important. It's trying to emphasize here that you've got to keep your focus on who Jesus really is. Uh, Jesus is not another prophet. This, Jesus is not another, uh, you know, that's come uh, another Moses, so to speak. Jesus is God, and God created all things. And so uh, then it says, as uh, it, I say, as a man, Moses was a servant of God, but God is the builder of all things. So here's the difference. Jesus is God. Moses is a servant of God. And look at verse 5. Look at verse 5. It says, and Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after. All right, now look, the, the servant is not the normal word here 
you know, normally when you read the word servant, you'd almost automatically assume that that means slave or, or bond slave or bondman. This is a different word. This is not the same word. The word here means a position of honor and trust. You see, Moses wasn't a slave like even, forgive me, even like Paul says he's a slave. That word is doulos. When Paul says it, that's the word doulos. And that word doulos means a, a lowly slave. But this word's not, not that same word. It's saying to Moses, it's a position of honor and trust. You say, well, you know, is God a respecter of persons? God can do whatever you want to do. And God spoke to Moses face to face. Now, that's pretty, that puts him in a pretty unique category. Moses was faithful to God and fulfilled the divine purpose of his life. Therefore, he was truly God's servant. You know, it's really a, it, Moses is really a type of Christ because Moses comes to the people in Egypt in sin and he comes to deliver them out of sin and he's going to take them uh, to the promised land and he's, and he's going to lead them and he's going to feed them and he's going to provide for them and he, God, but I mean, he's going to lead them to their provision. He's going to lead them to the water. He's going to lead them to all that. He's a type of Christ. And, and you know, he did all these things, not in perfection. That's why he didn't go into the promised land, but, but he did it uh, really well. <laughs> I mean, God could trust him, you know, God, God told him what to do. And, and I don't know about y'all, but I mean, if, 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 if God came to me and said, you know, I, I got a, a few million people, I just need you to take them out of Egypt and take them to a place you've never been before. And I need you to take care of them all until they get there. Okay, just go ahead and shoot me in the head. That's, that's amazing. And so, but this is what Moses, Moses did. He was truly God's servant. Moses also was a testimony of Christ to come. And that's what this verse is talking about. It says, for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after. So he's a type of Christ. He's, he, he, this life of Moses is, is picturing who they're going to hear about will come to deliver him, the Christ who will come. So... Um, Get to back where Moses was also a testimony of Christ to come. Some would say a type of Christ. He came to set the people free at the command of God. He, he lived to deliver them from, from bondage and to lead them to the promised land. He led them through the wilderness. He led them to the water from the rock. He led them to manna. He pointed them to the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud. He was not Christ, but he was a testimony of Christ to come. One who would be spoken of later. And now next we see the comparison between Christ and Moses again. Moses was a servant. Christ is the son. Look at verse 6 now. Verse 6. It says, but Christ as a son over his own house. Whose house are we? And, you know, I made mention here recently you know, that, that this building is not the temple. This building is a meeting place. And, and, you know, and, and this, it's a mis, misunderstanding, you think, well, you know, this is, that this is a sacred place in a sense of like, you know, well, this is where God is. No, this is where God is. 
This is the temple of the Holy Spirit. This is where God is. And that's why it's really more important that I take care of this house than I take care of this house. You say, well, then why is it important that we act right and take care of this house? Because it doesn't belong to us. It's not ours. This doesn't belong to anybody in this room. Now, you go to visit anyone's home, you ought, you ought to respect it and take care of it. Amen? I mean, again, that's why we have lids for our cups. Amen? That's why we have lids for our cups. That's why, as I told the men, you know, and, it, and really, if we're going to, to drink something in here, which we provide for you, uh, then, then it really ought to be done kind of before and after, but while the preaching's going on, uh, you know, it's really not a ball game. Amen? Yeah. Amen. So it's just a, it's a point of respect. It's, it's the, I told him, man, if we go out, if, not tonight, but if we decided to go out here and have church out in the lawn out here, the church is out there, not in here. And so here we are. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are. And so, so that's just, to me, a very comforting statement. We, we're his. We're his house. And, and it says, when we trust Christ and understand who he is, we are his. But he also wants us to live our lives in confidence, a confidence that brings rejoicing that we can. And now, look, look what it says now. It says, but Christ is a son over his, over his own house, whose house we are, and then it says, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. Now, what it's talking about there, it's not talking about, you know, uh, trying to hold on to your salvation. What it's talking about is holding on to your confidence. It's talking about holding on to, your, to having your confidence. And that confidence is what brings rejoicing in your heart. Uh, now, here's what we get. In Romans 5, it says that being justified by faith, thereby we have peace with God. Romans 5.1. This peace is confidence, and this confidence brings rejoicing, for our hope is firm unto the end, till our last breath. If we, really, if we really understand, believe the word of God, and we believe in who we trusted, and we will, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So if you're struggling in your faith a little bit, let me challenge you. Turn on the word of God. Read the Word of God, memorize the Word of God, muse on the Word of God. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Let me just help you too. Come here preaching. Because, and how should we hear except to be a preacher? So the, the fact is, is that you can increase your faith, but that faith is what gives you confidence. You have confidence in God. You have confidence that what he said he would do, he will do. You have confidence because he is God and God cannot lie. You have confidence that he will fulfill everything that he ever promised. He said, now you have that confidence. Just watch this. If you live in confidence, that's a peace. And you're just going to be more, you're going to rejoice more when you live in peace than you are when you're in doubt. You're going to rejoice more. If you know right now that you're saved, you're, then it, honestly, you're happier than if you were living in doubt of your salvation. If you know right now that you've confessed your sin before God as a Christian, and right now you say, Man, I'm not perfect, but I feel clean right now toward God. Can I tell you, you're happier right now, and you're more apt to rejoice about your salvation. 
So, this kind of hope is not, when, it, when, it, when the scripture here talks about hope, in verse 6 it says, But Christ is a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. So you see, it's talking about the hope is firm unto the end. That's what it's really talking about. The hope is firm, because this is not a, one, the kind of, that weak kind of hope where you say, well, you, you ask somebody, and we have this all the time, you ask them, do you know for sure if you died, you go to heaven? And they, they stare at you for a minute, and then they, then they say, well, uh, I hope so. Well, you know what you're going to say to them then? You don't have to hope so, you can know so. Okay, now that's not the kind of hope God's talking about. God's not talking about that kind of hope. It, it's not this kind of weak hope. Uh, it, it's a word of assurance, it's a word of expectation. Here, and let me just give you just a, a little bit of an illustration. When I get in trouble uh, and my mom was at home, anybody ever heard the words, uh, something similar to, just wait till your dad gets home? Or, okay, I'm telling your daddy when he gets home. Anybody, everybody heard it? Now, if, you, if I did that and, and my mama said, uh, I'm telling your daddy when he gets home. Well, first of all, I'm changing my attitude the rest of the day. Because I'm hoping grace and mercy is coming in here. Plus forgetfulness, possibly. But, but if, if somebody drove up my driveway, it wouldn't matter who, but if somebody drove my driveway and they came up to me, a little kid, and they said to me, hey, hey, son, son, um, is your daddy going to be home soon? Let me help you. I would not say that day, I hope so. No, I might say, uh, I think so, probably, maybe. But I ain't saying I hope so, right? Because I don't hope so. Okay, so if our expectation is in the eternal, then nothing temporal can take away our rejoicing. And, and this hope is a, is, a, is a hope that's an assurance, an expectation of assurance. So if our expectation is in the eternal, nothing temporal can take away my Rejoicing. If our expectation or our hope is in the temporal, we will forever find disappointment. And God's trying to make clear here that you can have this confidence and you can have rejoicing through this confidence if you understand your hope is going to stay firm to the end. It's firm. When you say, I hope so, that means I know so. It's a totally different word. Now, so if our expectation is in the eternal, and that's really what we need to do. You know, when we do our uh, marriage counseling, one of the things that we'll, we'll say to, to marriages, you know, uh, which I've, I've, I've told this to John and Amy many times, but... Uh, I'm just joking. I've never, I just, Amen. smile, John. Um, no, but often in marriage counseling, we'll say, if you have no expectation about your spouse's behavior or treatment of you or the way they demonstrate love to you, then you will never be disappointed. You see, the reason so many people are disappointed in the way they're treated 
is because they have an expectation of how they're supposed to be treated. But if you have no expectation, you're never disappointed. That's why I'm such a happy guy. I don't have any expectations she's going to do anything. So now, and I can say that because she is not in here tonight. And so, now, take that out of the tape. And so, <laughs> now, but if you have expectations, hope in God, you see, in life with the temporal, with, with people, if you have expectations of, of what they're supposed to do, you, you think they're supposed to act this way, they're supposed to respond this way, they're supposed to treat me this way, just let me help you. You're going to live your life in disappointment. But when you have expectation in God, you'll never be disappointed. If your expectation, which is your hope in God, You'll never be disappointed. Man will inevitably fail, but God never fails. God's word puts it this way in Isaiah 50, verse 7. It says, for the Lord God will help me. Therefore, shall I not be confounded. Therefore, have I set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. You see, the scripture is saying that if you trust in God, you can, you can just walk on and never look back. And watch this. All that God promised you through your entire life, all that he promised you about eternity, whatever he said, he will do it. That's what I mean. Therefore, shall I not be ashamed? You know, if you, if I, if I said, um, as, a, as the pastor, you know, I said, okay, this Sunday, everybody that comes is going to get a $20 bill. Oh, shut up. If they come, and I say, everybody that comes is going to get a $20 bill. And we had 300 people here. And I didn't have that much money. Then somebody you brought, if I did not give them a $20 bill, you'd be ashamed that you brought them. You'd be embarrassed that you promised them that you're, because your preacher said he was going to do that and he didn't do it. You'd be ashamed. You'd probably walk out and say, I'm sorry, I, I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed that we promised you something we didn't do. And, and it might be just you forgot. You, you know, I'm, I'm really bad about that. That's why I got to have people write it down and then people jump up and tell me that you forgot it still, even though it's written down. Because... Especially, though, if I promise something, I want to fulfill it. But can I tell you, I'm not going to fulfill all my promises. Now, I may have to double back and fulfill them after you tell me that I forgot them, but, but that's not the same. But God says, everything that I've ever told you, you can just mark it down, set your face like a flint on it.
because there'll be never be one time in all of your life and all of eternity that you'll ever have a right to say, he said this to me, but it wasn't true. He didn't follow through. It never happened. And when you have that, understand the kind of God you have, God says, you know what? That's great confidence. That's great confidence. That, folks, that's why we, we strive to be a faith-based ministry. That's why we support gyms and want to be every way, every way we can. With, and why Mike and I believe the same way. Because the truth is, if it's not of God, people say, well, well how, are you, how are you going to make How's your family going to make it? How are they going to be taken care of? If, if your employer is God, if he can't take care of you, you're working for the wrong person. But when you have confidence that he will do everything he said he'd do, then you can just walk on and, and when, you, when you're broke and rejoice because you know it's going to come out. I told Mike today, I used to tell guys all the time, they'd go out, you know, start a church or do this or that, and they would come back complaining and griping, man, we all starved to death. You know, all I heard, you know, God take care of me and God didn't take care of us. And I would say, uh, you know, I'd always ask them, tell me about your work schedule. Well, what, what difference does that make? I was working for God. No, 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 no. no I'm going to tell you, God is an honest employer. I said, but, but just listen to me. You work part-time for him, he'll pay you part-time. You work full-time for him, he'll pay you full-time. That's why when I went to work at a college for $10,600 a year with five kids and one on the way, uh, the reason I did that and I didn't go to some, some other job because I left everything to serve God. And if I was going to work for him, I was going to work for him full time. Now watch this. What is full time for God? I, I have seen anywhere that he wrote down 40-hour work week. See, that's the misconception. Man, I put in 40 hours and, you know, a week, and, and we about starved to death. I'm sorry, but God didn't create a 40-hour work week. I don't know why I got on this. Uh, but the fact is, is that when you know that you serve that kind of God, and when you live a life for 40 years that everybody says you can't live? That they look at you and say, that doesn't make sense, you can't pay your bills like that? Well, really? We have. And I'm not always saying it's easy. I'm not saying he doesn't take you to the, to the wall a whole lot of times. But it always gets taken care of. As long as I don't blow what he provides. Hello? <laughs> I don't know why I got it. I don't know how, but, you know, Lord knows. But that's the first six verses of Hebrews, and God's comparing Moses, who was a wonderful man, God says. He was faithful in all his house. He said, but he's nothing compared to Jesus because Moses was the house. 
Jesus was the builder. All right, Brother Allen, you close us in prayer. And it'll be right in time for it to start storming again. And most gracious Lord, thank you again for uh, this day. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to come together in midweek. Lord, thank you for your word. And Lord, thank you for our pastor and his family. Lord, we ask you now to bless us as we go. In Jesus' name, amen.